ignition sequence start. Three, two, one. Lock and load. It's time for the gun rack with your hosts, Joey and Drew. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Gun Racks and Desert Institute School of Firearms Technology's official podcast. I'm Josiah Upper. Folks call me Joey, and with me we have one handsome Drew Poplin. Handsome Drew Poplin, and you can maybe tell that we are together because that lag is not even there. So uh, we're actually recording together out of my dining room right now. If you hear a little bit of room echo, bear with us. Uh, we love being able to record uh, in one space, and that's the best way to do it right now. So uh, here and without a time lag for our podcast, we're going to dive into something really cool. Uh, I went through a training course uh, in North Carolina for pistol and rifle. It was a, it was a really good time, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, but first, before we get into that, we have uh, some Drew's Clues for you guys, because Drew Poplin remains on the clues. Drew's Clues. What do we got? Always and forever, Joey. Always and forever. So, last week's answer was the Evan FAL. This week. I thought so. Yeah. Um, you should have got that. You're the one that suggested it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I don't remember. <laughs> that was like two weeks ago, man. Um, so this week's clues, your first clue is that this firearm is a bullpup. Bullpup. It's chambered in 5.56 by 45 millimeter NATO intermediate cartridge. <gasps> Ooh, that was a sentence. Yep. Number three, been in production since 1978. Ooh, I bet I know exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. And number four, the military full auto iteration does not have a selector switch like other similar firearms. It just is full auto? So instead, this firearm fires in semi-auto mode when the trigger is pulled partway and in full auto mode when it's pulled the whole way. Ooh, okay. Well, it really can... I, I didn't look at this one, which is why I'm, you know, verbalizing. But to give you a further hint, guys... I think there really can only be two options for this, um, and they are both from Europe. Um, I don't think the Chinese QBZ, which I think it's called, was around that early. So be thinking height of Cold War firearms, and uh, I think you'll be able to hit it, especially if... There's no selector switch. Think about what kind of people make that kind of precise mechanics. I think you'll get there. But I could also be totally wrong. I didn't. That's not a joke. I didn't look at the answer. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah. So if you think you know what it is, uh, feel free to reach out to us uh, at marketing at sdi.edu. Guess it right. You may just get a prize. We still had that root beer from we a couple do. months ago. <laughs> no one's taken us up on it. Yeah, you know, surprisingly, no one's taken us up on it. But you know what? If you reach out at marketing at sdi.edu on top of the root beer uh, that we have, I will also send you whatever the uh, no 
I can do better than that. Real offer here. Marketing at SDI.edu. I will send on top of the root beer the North Carolina specialty. That is cheer wine. Ooh. Yes. Very difficult to, uh, to obtain outside of North Carolina. And we will get it to you. That's SDI.edu. Marketing at SDI.edu. Joe, you want to talk a little bit about SDI real quick? Sure, I do. I frequently do. Really, I always do. So, Sonoran Desert Institute is an online school accredited by the Distance Education Accrediting Commission. There are two schools under the kind of the mothership that is Sonoran Desert Institute. We have the School of Unmanned Technology and we have the School of Firearms Technology. School of Unmanned Technology has to do with drones and the School of Firearms Technology has to do with gunsmithing, right? That one's pretty obvious. We have three programs under these. Um, the Certificate of Unmanned Technology Aerial Systems is under that School of Unmanned slash uncrewed technology, really. Um, and then we have the uh, Certificate in Firearms Technology Gunsmithing, the CFTG, and then the ASFT, which is the Associate of Firearms Technology Gunsmithing. And uh, they are both uh, wonderful. You can actually check out everything that you'll learn there in our course catalog. If you hop onto sdi.edu, there's a tab that says Academics, and under that tab there's Catalog, and you can, you can check it out for yourself. Uh, we would love to have you be a part of the SDI family if you are not already. Hop on to sdi.edu. At the bottom right corner of the website, you'll see a Welcome to Live Chat tab. You're welcome to talk with uh, one of our representatives here at SDI uh, during our business hours. They would love to get to know you better and talk about how awesome this school is. One more time, that's www.sdi.edu. Short and sweet, just for you. All right. Now that we are diving into the meat of this thing, I, I got to tell you guys, this was, I had a great time. Um, it is uh, one of the hardest things, actually, I think I have done, um, especially in recent memory. I was telling Drew, actually, before we hopped on, because um, I was just kind of word vomiting about it a little bit, and I was looking up their website and all this other stuff. Um to, in anticipation of talking about it with you guys. Um, back in high school, I was a pretty big runner. Uh, uh, gas prices were very high. Um, and the my parents were both a little too busy and uh, a little too disinterested to drive me most places. They still gave me a lift from time to time, but I was very active in school activities and I lived almost exactly one uh, five kilometer run away from my home. So I ran to home after school uh, more times than I can count, literally. And uh, I have a couple of half marathons under my belt as well. And uh, this coming out of this course at the end of the course, I felt exactly as tired as I did back then. Uh, keep in mind, I'm not nearly as fit as I was then. Um, what, one of our uh, topics here in the near future is going to be uh, concealed carry holsters for fat people, if that tells you anything. Um, but I also can tell you I lost two pounds that day. Um, so that also maybe should tell you something. 
Um, we, I trained with a group that uh, is based out of Fayetteville, North Carolina, although that's very generous. Um, as you guys probably know, especially if you are of a military persuasion, uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina is very close to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. If they were cities, they'd be sister cities. Um, and uh, it is loaded with a veteran population. I mean, just all over the place. Uh, which means, first of all, some of the best Army-Navy stores in the country are found in Fayetteville, North Carolina, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, some of the best gun shops are there. Uh, actually, I think Brandon Herrera, I don't think he's still there, but I'm pretty sure he operated out of there. And I think Mr. Guns and Gear has done some stuff out there. Can't guarantee that, though. I'm pretty sure that was the case. Um, the point is, it's a big hub for uh, us that dwell within the realm of firearms technology and firearms training and all that good stuff. Um it is, uh, people like to poke fun at it. They call it Vietnam because um, it's, uh, some people would describe it as a little rough around the edges. Um, this course, I was like, okay, cool, Fayetteville. Um, I have family that lives in Fayetteville. Uh, got a veteran family that kind of planted roots there and I've stayed there for many, many years now. It's like, I know that area. This will be cool. Come in, it's probably right on the outskirts. Uh, this thing was 30 minutes past the center of the city uh, in the opposite direction of where I came from. It was fully half an hour uh, more of a drive than I've ever done <laughs> to Fayetteville. At that point, you're almost halfway to Wilmington. No, seriously. You are getting... You are headed east to... Well, let me put it this way. Actually, I was going to save this to the end, but I'll tell you now. Coming in, you know, you punch up your directions and your phone downloads the directions in case things get weird yeah, yeah. and it tracks you in um, coming out I had so little cell phone service um, and I have T-Mobile which used to be bad but is actually pretty good in rural areas now uh, I had so little service for so long that I got out of there by uh, using a compass for 15 miles literally had to use a compass for 15 miles to get out of there um I haven't had to do that in I don't remember how long, so I'm glad. Uh, those of you who keep some a uh, little package in your car, compass is not the worst idea. Um, that was it was kind of funny, and also I ran into not ran into I passed one vehicle in that entire time I was navigating <laughs> with the compass, um, and these were some of those were highways, so uh, pretty remote place, and uh, it was. Yeah, it you you go out there. You're in the middle of nowhere, absolutely nowhere. And uh, I came in with a small group of people. I think there were nine of us. Um, most of us had known each other for a pretty long time. Some were friends of friends. Yeah, you know how that kind of thing goes. Uh, I operated with a uh, group. I trained with a group called Rakondo Operations Group, um, and the the main guy. Um, who I think his first name was Dave. He was pretty clearly a kind of a private person, so I won't divulge too much from him. But uh, he is—he's uh, decidedly high speed. Um, his he uh, his his description on his website is: "I've been working for the U.S. Army for over 28 years as a civil servant that is a deployable asset." Um, 
he has been on the Fort Bragg long range team judo club and worked in hand to hand with special forces groups moving up the chain to, to now working with tier one unit. It also has worked with a secret service detail and taken tons of shooting courses in these units to sharpen my skill sets. Dude, I bet him and Kip could share some stories. He probably could. Um, although, uh, this guy looks like he eats Kips for breakfast. <laughs> uh, he's not like muscly, but he's just, I think he's 6'3", mm-hmm. minimum 6'4". Um, he, we were doing some shooting, um in and around some derelict cars like you see in videos sometimes and he looked at a ford expedition and said you know the only problem with this car for me has been that it's too small (laughs) i was like what do you want (laughs) Uh, he also on the abrams or something yeah like literally like come on but big dude um uh, but you know we digress we took the uh pistol and rifle course they offer quite a few courses i'm just going to lift them list them off um so i don't forget they do basic pistol core pistol and rifle which i think is what we ended up doing uh position pistol and rifle advanced pistol and rifle tactical pistol and rifle combat medic long range north carolina concealed carry handguns low light pistol and rifle shotgun defensive pistol and rifle long range club uh, so lots of stuff they have going on. Uh, and I don't know if this is their rate for everything, uh, but I will tell you that the, the nine of us went in and paid a hundred bucks a piece for eight hours of training. Um, I don't know. Well, actually I, I did one. I think we talked about the one with Reese's firearms. I did mm-hmm. a few weeks ago. Um, that one was similar hourly, but I mean, come on. How, how, uncommon was that uh we went through a lot of ammunition uh so that was probably the one quote-unquote drawback in terms of finances i think i went through just under a hundred uh rounds of nine millimeter and then right around maybe just a little under 200 rounds of 7.62 by 39 you do the math on that let's say it was 100 rounds of 7.62 by 39 um shoot I don't remember. The point is, it was a lot of money. <laughs> it's a lot of money. You say it's thirty-five cents around for seven sixty-two by thirty-nine. I'm using the cheap stuff too, um, and then uh, nine millimeter, same deal. And uh, you're spending a fair amount of money on that, but that's going to be the case pretty much anywhere you go. Um, they did it. Uh, they did a really good job. I thought um, they they very clearly do this all the time. Uh, which is great, but they uh, spent a lot of their time uh, establishing the basics and making sure that everything was utterly safe all the time uh, as we scaled through everything. And uh, even though they were focused on that, we ended up doing some fairly advanced things at the end, I thought, uh, definitely more advanced than anything I had done. But we started out with some of the the very basics. So we... uh, said hey you know he they had us talk about what our experience with firearms was i actually didn't say a word about sdi because when i take courses like this i like to uh try to uh prevent them from thinking i work with firearms in a professional manner uh because most i mean my my two areas of specialty are marketing in the firearms world and then writing about concealed carry in the firearms world, neither of which are particularly 
no matter how many emails I write, uh, that does not make me a better shooter. <laughs> um, same for uh, writing about concealed carry back in the day. So a lot of the times, like, I would call myself a low-level intermediate pistol shooter, and I think they would disagree with that, <laughs> to be entirely honest with you, uh, and a very basic um, shooter with a uh, semi-automatic rifle. So basically anything that's not a hunting rifle, really. Um, it was it was great. So they lined us up, the nine of us, um, and had us uh, basically present and use our stance. Uh, actually, they had us go clear our, our firearms first to make sure you know we all started at the right foot. And uh, they, they did it and did not follow us because they wanted to see what our stances were and stuff without them having said anything. Mm. And uh, it was embarrassing for all of us, I think. Um, they, uh, they were quietly laughing in the background and we didn't figure that out until we were done but um it was kind of like the beginning of mulan oh yeah yeah where we're past having picked up every single grain of rice but uh the it's pretty rough it's, it's pretty rough and um we uh worked on our handgun uh grips because even though i mean everyone i feel like everyone uh has a very uh, has a reasonable understanding of what you're supposed to do with your with a handgun in your hand point it at a safe direction and then get as much uh contact with the firearm as you can hold it tight and um the the only thing i think a lot of people would contend with is if you're kind of one of the people that wraps your uh, left or right, whatever your offhand index finger is around the front of the trigger guard. Um, that'd be the only big thing, I think. That honestly might be a good idea for a podcast episode in the future. Active versus passive grip. Oh, uh, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, we should do that. Um, and I've always actually been team pro finger wrapping, which has uh, annoyed the snot out of multiple instructors instructors in the past but also the dean of our school said that uh it might be okay so i've been kind of stubborn i think (laughs) at this point i'm just gonna have to get over myself and and do it the way most people normally do um because it's no why not right um the trick is i have very very large hands as i'm sure some of you that are listening do so uh sometimes when i'm trying to stack up my fingers on a firearm it just doesn't doesn't hit right or I, I struggle because they're kind of pushed together. The palm of my offhand doesn't hold the grip as as well as you would like. But I digress. One of the cool things they talked about here, though, was that uh, they, they were talking about how to hold your firearm. Like, that'll work. Drew's handing me his glasses case. If you're holding a glasses case... And you let go of the index finger. Absolutely nothing changes about the way you're holding the case. Except for the pressure added by your index finger. If you remove the thumb, a little bit more. But the really interesting one is the pinky. If you let go with your pinky, your hand has to hold the firearm in an entirely different way. Mm. Which is why, and this is an interesting takeaway that I had never considered. 
uh, people that say, hey, I don't mind having my pinky dangle in the air um, with my concealed carry firearm are sacrificing a lot more than they think they are. Um, so if you shake someone's hand next time, just have a weird moment with them where you just hold onto their hand and then let go of your thumb. Let go of your index finger. Let go of your pinky and see which one actually radically changes the way you're you're shaking that person's hand. It's a fun exercise. Um, so that was a fun takeaway there. But uh, once we had our grips down, and I'm now, of course, operating without a the finger wrapping that I've been doing for years, uh, they put us out. It was like three yards. We're right in front of the, these targets. And uh, they had us fire once, fire twice. Um, making sure our sight pictures are right, all that good stuff. Uh, holstering and reholstering, which is, of course, when you go to a lot of ranges, that's one of the things you absolutely must not do. Um, you are uh, a lot more likely to flag yourself reholstering the thing um, than you are taking it out. Um, there's also the, uh, the offhand over heart situation so your uh, drawing hand goes down and then your other hand most people's left hand goes over the heart you pull it out and then as you present it you bring the left hand with you um anytime i say left hand here for handgun shooting we're talking about the the non-dominant hand just have that but um when you're presenting it you're not slapping the handgun into the or into your offhand. You're not doing anything particularly violent with your offhand. You're just bringing them together when it comes out. Um, of course, you bring it up and then you come out. You have that space there. Um, and I, I found that quite a bit uh, very helpful. Uh, one thing I want to say, and I don't mean to call out. Well, I kind of mean to call out this brand. This is a personal thing. This is not an SDI thing. <laughs> Uh, I had a concealed carry holster uh, with Osborne holsters, which I feel a little more okay about mentioning because uh, they don't exist anymore from as best as I can tell with my research. They had one holster. I actually wrote about it back in the day. Could you do me a favor and look up Osborne holsters on Instagram and see if they're, they're still operational? Um, I know for a fact that they did a this isn't supposed to be a big dig on on osborne holsters they're not uh better business bureau accredited but they have uh a lot of complaints about uh ordering products and then not hearing anything from them uh a lot of them uh most of them are last year um so Definitely. What's that? So their last Instagram post was February 3rd, 2021. 2021. So they must have gone down and then not. It's a whole thing. I'm not going to conjecture too much. Um, the outside the waistband slim uh, I carried with that for a long time. The only reason I stopped uh, really was that uh, I lost the holster somehow. But I loved that holster. But the outside the waistband slim holster with an additional magazine pouch um, 
I don't know whether I, I failed to form the leather properly. It may be a me issue, and I'm happy to take accountability for that. But it was virtually impossible to reholster the firearm without pointing the gun at myself in the process. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is not what you want <laughs> at any point. So I actually had the guys there ask me what the brand was so that they could warn people off of it, uh, which is a first for me. They also were like, Kydex is the only way. Not them, but the people I was shooting with, which I f could not disagree more with. But um, that particular holster performed very poorly when I was operating with it in this training and i feel like that is worth mentioning uh, again uh these are people that actually i spoke with a few years back before i was with sdi uh the holster that i had that was in question was given to me on a test and evaluation um and the slim that i used it was great um but this one in this situation did not work like I needed it to. And whether that's on me or whether that's on them, you got me. But yeah, fairly significant stuff. And again, that's a me thing. That's not an SDI thing. SDI didn't pay for this training. It didn't have anything to do with them. It's just what I had going on. Um, I was carrying for this course, handgun-wise, a TriStar T100, which is a CZ7... <laughs> It is a clone of the Jericho 941, which is an adapted clone of the CZ-75. So a clone of a clone. Um, they are uh, they're quite nice, actually. I paid $350 for mine. Uh, 15 plus 1 capacity, 9mm, 3.9 inch barrel. I want to say 1 and a quarter inch thick. I'm just root. These are from memory. So mm -hmm. not positive about that one, but very thick hand grip, which is a big deal for me. Um, I had actually brought another gun to uh, train with, my Sig Sauer C3, which is a commander-length barrel 1911 with an officer-length hand grip, um, but I forgot the extra magazines for it, and in anticipation of screwing up bringing the C3, I had brought the T100. I literally brought it anticipating that I was going to do something wrong. Over the course. I'm pretty <laughs> glad I did. Um, although the Sig Sauer C3 with two extra mags that are flush fit. Uh, if you include an extra round in the chamber, uh, I'm bringing in, I think, 6, 12, 7, 19 rounds. Uh, and the one of the extra mags I brought for my T100 was 19 plus 1 by itself. So pretty significant difference. All that to say, we're out doing some uh, some basic marksmanship. We backed up a little bit. We shot some more. Uh, always good stuff. They, you know, certain groupings uh, were being done. A lot of this is fairly basic fare for training like this. Like I want to talk mostly about the stuff that's different. Um, so holstering, unholstering, talking about why it's so important to do those things well. One of the things they touched on was that reholstering is far more dangerous than unholstering. Uh, and that one person there wearing Serpa, uh, Serpa holster, uh, they were genuinely really concerned about. So that's not just armchair uh, warriors out there talking about Serpa holsters being dangerous. These people genuinely believed that was the case as well. Um, something to keep in mind. So we had these uh, done. We did some magazine changes as well, of course. Um, 
I was I kept my magazines in a pouch, basically a magazine holster, which I kept on my non-dominant side towards the back. Um, I had we're going to talk a little bit uh, a couple weeks from now about the merits of making use of a concealed carry belt. And let me tell you right now, if the right one of those goes a long, long way. I kept two full magazines, so 34 rounds of 9mm uh, inside of a leather holster, and also carried a two magazine uh, AK mag pouches. Um, and both of those were full, so 60 rounds of that plus those magazines, and also my handgun, and it didn't feel like I was wearing anything. I was probably wearing 10 pounds worth of gear, um, and it it might as well have not been there. So get a good gun belt. Uh, concealed carry belt can cover a world of wrongs, uh, just to preview that uh, down the road. Um, so we did our handgun shooting, but then we started doing rifle, and... Uh, I was more nervous about that, even though I ended up actually being a little better at it, um, than uh, handgun because semi-automatic rifles and me do not have a lot of experience together. I had a build that I was... Build is very generous for what I did. Some of the people there built their, their ARs, like did that. I brought my Galil Ace Gen 1. Uh, chambered in 762 by 39 on top of which I had a primary arms three times prism ACSS reticle uh, scope uh, which actually only cost me like 280 bucks I think when it got here which is nice I also had a foregrip on it that you press a button and out comes a little bipod which we're going to talk about later um, all of stuff uh, was scrutinized and over scrutinized everyone's builds were a little bit i was the only person there with a prism site i will say that uh and i was fine with that um i was also using uh magpool p mags uh 30 rounds um one of which had come with the rifle this is going to matter later i also had a sling uh frankly the name of which i forget it was a two-point sling with a little bit of bungee at the end um, I spent quite a while fidgeting with it, trying to get it to do what I wanted it to do, while also uh, keep pointing at the ground, not flagging anyone. Didn't end up flagging anyone, but there was quite a bit of fiddling around because it was super tight. Um, we started with some basic posture stuff, like your belt buckle should be facing whatever your target is, instead of like s stepping way back and forward. Um, with your shoulder being towards the back, uh, making sure you're leaning correctly. And when I say leaning correctly, I mean barely leaning at all. Your posture's right. Um, and where the shoulder should be, uh, meaning the, the contact between your rifle and your shoulder. Uh, they, he, he called it, it should be in line with your nipple and your eye which is way closer to the center of mass than I was used to or expected. Um, one of the big things for both myself and quite a few other people there uh, was that we would uh, shoulder the firearm and look, and then our it would be way too far to the right or to the left for me because I'm uh, right-handed, but I'm left-eye dominant. So I'm shooting these uh, rifles left-handed, um, and it would be towards like the bone of the end of the shoulder, right? 
So I would be leaning, like I would have it up and I would be leaning way over. And I'll, I'll tell you, I think you guys may have heard of this years ago. It would be like two years ago now. There was a significant pause in the Gunwrecks publication because I herniated a disc in my back and was basically unable to move for forever. Um, and I've lost, oh yeah, no, I get to, uh, brag about it here are there as there are absolutely no repercussions unless you guys finally email marketing at sdi.edu um i've lost about 25 pounds which means uh for me uh the the risk of hurting my back is is that much less which is great you know i stretch and i do try to knock out 10,000 steps two or three times a week um, that needs to go up. But all that to say is my back is in a lot better shape than it's been in a long time. But you spend, I don't know, 15 minutes leaned over sideways with your, your firearm shouldered incorrectly. And you will, f I felt it and was worried I was going to aggravate my herniated disc, which is the worst feeling in the world. Um, so that's one, even when I left the class, it's one of those things I'm just putting it in the right place. Being very careful with that is good. And the nice thing is if you lift up from the right place, um, that optic that you have should line up right with your eyeball just about. You barely have to move, which is smooth and wonderful. Um, something to keep in mind. So when we were up at three yards, we shot at like, it was one of those targets that has numbers assigned to certain circles and be like, aim for that number. We'd shoot and it would be way low uh, because our optic and our bore are not aligned at three yards. They're aligned at uh, 50 or 100 or whatever you have your firearm zeroed to. So they're like something to keep in mind as you are moving. The relationship is going to be weird, especially 7.62 by 39 is not a flat shooting round. Uh, it, I was the only one shooting 7.62 by 39. Everyone else was shooting 5.56 in some form or fashion of an AR, except for one uh, SIG MCX, I think. Um, everyone else had a low power variable optic, except for, I think, one guy had a red dot. Um, and then one guy was using iron sights. Old school stuff. So... And I'll tell you right now, that guy was the the most miserable of all of us. He was trying to do uh, snapshots or whatever um, with iron sights is just harder. It is. And the, uh, I mean, it's old school, right? And you can't really, it's difficult to break iron sights. Um, but also it's difficult to break an etched reticle. So <laughs> something to think about um, when you're considering whatever your build is, whatever you want to you know, whatever the purpose of your, your build is. Um, so we did magazine changes. One of the things that they emphasized for us was pra everyone practices uh, removing and then putting in a new magazine, even if you're not even thinking about it. That's just a thing you do um, at the range um, in very sterile conditions. Uh, they had us change magazines uh, while we were moving sideways. So there'd be a, uh, our targets are down the range and we would strafe to the left or the right um, and try to reload the firearm after a certain amount of rounds are down range. Uh, and do it, it's like walking and chewing gum, but also trying to do algebra two at the same time. It's unbelievably difficult and you wouldn't think it to uh, 
to, you know, from the outside. So uh, this is where my biggest issue with the whole class came into play. Uh, not with the instructors, but myself. Uh, the Magpool P-Mags did not want to play well with the Galil Ace. Gen 1. Important distinction. Uh, that does not mean they don't function with the Galil Ace Gen 1. But essentially, when you have an AK, you have to rock the magazine, right? So the front of the magazine goes up at an angle. You hit kind of the lip, and then you rock it back, and then you uh, chamber around, and then you're good to go. With this, with the Galil Ace, the one that I have, who knows? Maybe it's the only one in the world that does this. But there was a top lip, and then there was a bottom lip. And the bottom lip is the one that you had to have to successfully seat the magazine and rock it in. So if you're moving quickly and you just put it in there as quick as you can and pull back, it doesn't seat. It's just stuck in there like you crammed it in. Um, like if you if you put a handgun magazine in poorly and it's just sitting there, but the second you rattle it or anything, it comes falling out. That happened ninety percent of all the times I tried to rack the or insert the magazine. It was it was embarrassing. I'm not gonna lie. I was getting flustered and actually pretty frustrated uh, for probably half an hour there trying to make that right. So basically, I had to go in stick the magazine at the top lip instead of trying to avoid it and then once i got to the top lip brought it down physically a quarter inch or half an inch or whatever to the bottom lip and rock it in that way and even that didn't work all the time uh, the only thing that made me feel better about that is one of our very high speed instructors also had issues trying to operate it with it um but of course the big problem here is that Having done this only in sterile conditions, I did not properly have my gear squared away to go into this thing. So, real, I mean, this is a me issue. Um, but it's something to keep in mind if you have a Galil Ace Gen 1 or are looking at getting one. Um, I thought it was just a me thing or an incompetence thing or wildest situation. It's a Galil or IWI thing, which I doubted very much because their reputation for quality is otherworldly. Uh, so coming out of the class, I had three, and they were all PSA. What are they? Is it PSA? No, PMAGs. Sorry. Um, I'm just always thinking about Palmetto State Armory. I had three Magpul PMAGs thinking that these are kind of the gold standard for solid magazines. Um, but I went out and dropped 35 bucks on a trio of uh, KCI, I think, metal magazines. No... Uh, hold opens at the end um, picked up three of those and I think I've had one or two uh, magazine switch issues since and that's out of dozens of times so that was definitely the right move that Galil just really seems to like the metal magazines something to keep in mind if you go to buy one you might just want to spring for the uh, metal magazines and they really weren't all that expensive um, other thing I used, I bought one Pro Mag and it didn't even think about fitting, like at all. Um, it just, like you put it towards the, the mag well and it literally wouldn't go inside. So uh, don't waste your money on that in this particular context. Uh, the guy there mentioned that Pro Mags and AK stuff uh, are not the best of friends, but I don't have enough experience to say that myself, something worth noting. Um, 
one of the one of the exercises we did was we would go there's four barrels right lined up and each one's about 10 feet in front of the other and you go shoot from one corner of the barrel towards a steel target and then you would move to the other you're sneaking around to the other side the other barrel and while you're doing that you're holding your firearm down so you're not flagging the barrel basically seeing if you can uh snap go up and snap onto the target and uh, do that consistently while maintaining essentially perfect muzzle discipline, which, again, muzzle discipline is an extremely important thing to keep in mind. And it's hard to do when, because at this point we're going one by one, right? So there's eight people staring at you, most of which you've known your whole life. <laughs> um, uh, plus a uh, uh, few instructors who are, who are very, uh, very high speed. So it's a little weird feeling. Go out there and do it. I did not do it correctly, I'll tell you. The other thing I wanted you to do was uh, be shooting while moving. Um, so you're walking and your muzzle's down and then you're up and you're shooting while still walking and your muzzle's down and still, etc., etc. Uh, I screwed that one up pretty royally. And then on top of that, um, there was, uh, we went and did it again and the second time they had us sing a song while we were doing it. So that we had breath control okay. while also doing all these other things. And I'll tell you, like, I literally studied theater in college. We've talked about me doing Shakespeare here. Uh, singing is uh, is in my wheelhouse. And uh, it was not that day. <laughs> the, the real question is, what song did you choose? I sang the national anthem, which I was pretty proud of mm. my selection on that. Um. There was one guy who actually he's he's a uh, he's a worship leader at his church, and he sang and also was shooting, and it was like weird and beautiful. Like he's <laughs> it was just like he was completely unfazed by the exercise, so he's like snapping up, and he's like do 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 do, and then snap up again, and it's completely uninterrupted. He is a very coordinated guy. I won't uh, say his name on here in case he doesn't want that, but. It was pretty impressive. I don't know why I thought you were going to go with uh, One Day More or something like that. I thought about Stars. I did. Um, that, it's funny that we were both on the Les Mis track there. But uh, I figured even if I was you know, shooting and screwing it up, I'd still sound better than Russell Crowe did. Ooh. But yeah. Um, so there's that. But <laughs> I didn't do that. Uh that was for those of you who don't know that was a very sick burn <laughs> for, for those of you singing and don't know anything about musical theater there's like 10 of you out there right yeah. now they're like oh yeah yeah that was the that was that was good and you're just gonna have to trust me on it <laughs> um so we did that there was uh at one point we did uh you you'd shoot at one target and then move to the other one and back and basically it was a test to see if you can like actually track your optic um from from one place to the other um that was interesting and you get better at that as you go like this is i had never shot this combo before outside of zeroing it so it was a thing i would imagine haven't seen it but uh, i would imagine a lot of uh sport like competitive shooting stuff there's some similar vibes there um so that was a lot of fun uh we started to take a break right around this time a lot of us a lot of us were getting a little flustered 
Um, you go in and you're like, I'm an intermediate shooter. And you go there and you're like, I don't know anything about anything. Um, and none of us do. There were, I would probably, out of the nine of us, I'd probably put myself in the bottom three or four. Um, and even those of us who are clipping along at the top were struggling enormously. Our best shooter, I would say, um, spent the entire time leaning over his gun to like a comma, like anime style, just completely impractical looking, leaning over his, his rifle. Well, not rifle. It was actually a pistol, cal- uh, a rifle caliber pistol, um, which was also suppressed. It was pretty sweet, but uh, we all had stuff we had to work on. I spent most of the time we were at break uh, staring at my mags in fury. I didn't want to mess with them while everyone's eating. But uh, the other thing to keep in mind with this particular class, and this will probably not apply to you. Uh, well, it might apply to some of you. Uh, it was about a hundred degrees uh, the whole time in Fayetteville. Those of you have been there, know is just a freaking swamp. Mm. The humidity, if the humidity ever goes below like seventy percent, I don't remember it, and I've been there a lot. Um, so we even our high speed instructor boys were melting and uh, were complaining about the heat. So we were. I drank two gallons of water over the course of that eight hours two gallons of water and i still had heat exhaustion at the end um there were some of the toughest people i know were in that class and none of us were above uh struggling and running off to the shade every chance we could get uh once that was done we played my very favorite game out of the whole thing it's not really a game it's a training exercise but you have imagine placing five barrels in the same pattern you would a number five on a die, right? So you've got one in the middle and then one, two, three, four in a square. Those square barrels, the one not in the middle, the ones not in the middle, were assigned a numerical value. So it'd be one, two, three, four. And uh, you, your home base was the middle. But the trainer would call out, uh, say, nine and you had to run over to the barrels that added up to nine, however you wanted to do that. So you could run over to the four barrel, shoot it twice, and then run to one. You could do run to three and shoot it three times, and then run back to the middle as home base. Uh, so basically you had you doing addition of subtraction while also figuring out where to move and still hitting the target. If you just put the round down range and didn't hit steel, it didn't count. Um, that was really fun and very physically tiring. Um, but that was definitely my favorite thing we did so far. We had one guy who had a degree in math who got so flustered that he messed up like what seven was, uh, which is pretty great. Um, I'm working on my MBA, which doesn't involve as much math as that, but it involves a fair amount of math. And even I was like, Ugh, but I was excited because I can do math a lot better than, uh, I can put rounds on target. So um, that was really enjoyable. We did that for quite a while. And then we did uh, some shooting in tandem stuff. So we had one person and we had two trainers behind us basically holding onto our backs, um, guiding us. And we moved down the range at the same time. So we would start with our rifle 
shoot and then get to a certain yard marker and then they would have us switch to our handguns and continue to shoot and walk our way down till we closed with the little paper targets we had set up for that uh which was very interesting to do um that it was really enjoyable i think um being able to communicate with someone trying to communicate with someone over the din of shooting firearms is it's exceptionally difficult. So uh, that that was pretty nice. A lot of what we did, um, I kind of glossed over this, was switching from rifle to handgun uh, and then handgun to rifle. Um, much more the uh, first than the second. Um, that was really enjoyable. The last thing we did was uh, we shot our way out of a car. Uh, so we were sitting in the car, and it had already been blown to smithereens. I have to imagine people shot it up. Um, it's definitely not a functioning vehicle anymore. And uh, we would step out and shoot steel targets and then work our way back. Um, and basically communicating with each other in an environment that's very clumsy. Um, which was cool. It was really cool. Uh, all in all... It was, it was a great day. We went through a lot of ammo. Um, and uh, the course was worth way more than the 100 bucks we paid for it. Mm. I'll tell you that right now. So it was a great time. Rakondo Tactical, or Rakondo Operations uh, Group is the official name. And uh, definitely recommend them. Uh, they will give you crap for a lot of things. They view that as their job. And uh, while I'm normally more of a uplifting kind of person for instruction, uh, they for for what they're training, I think what they do is very effective. I was going to say it sounds like they're trying to create like a yeah, it's chaos. supposed to be a little stressful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's supposed to be. Um, so, yeah, definitely uh, worth my time to have gone out there. I recommend it personally. And, yeah, we had a great time. Well, that's awesome, man. You know what's also worth your time? What? Sonoran Desert Institute. Sonoran Desert Institute is worth our time. All right, so Sonoran Desert Institute. If you hear from us and you think, man, of course they plug Sonoran Desert Institute, they work there. Well, of course we do, and we love working here. But if you want to hear about Sonoran Desert Institute from a perspective other than our own, hop on to sti.edu. You'll see the news tab in that top little kind of menu. Click on that, and on the right of that web page, you will see topics and then graduate features or grad features. Click on grad features, excuse me, and you will see from the perspective of students, or rather graduates, that have worked their way through our coursework and have come to the other side, uh, what their experience was like. It's a far better indicator of what this school is and does than anything I could share with you. Um, hearing it from them is is definitely the way to go. So sti.edu um, news and then grad features. Top one right now is about uh, STI graduate David Rains, who gave an interview with Drew that was like hours long. It was awesome. Check out sdi.edu. Now, before we go, we have Tales from the Range there. Um, and I would qualify that magazine fumble as a tale from the range, but I think we got some, some more coming on. So what do we got? Yeah, we'll give you one more home to go home on. So this one comes from the high road. It's from Crashola. 
But this is actually a story from his brother. It says, my favorite came secondhand from my brother. So several years ago, he was home from college in my parents' basement, helping my mom moving some boxes, etc. He worked his way back to the room where my dad kept his guns and exclaimed, Oh, cool, when did dad get a Benelli? <laughs> Her quick response was, He bought what? In short, in order to keep the peace, she got some nice new furniture a few weeks later. <laughs> That's good stuff. That we do. I'd say that's a fair trade-off. I do, too. And, of course, the thing that's important here is that we spend even more money than, mm. than we had initially. But a lot of our memes are about sneaking in uh, sneaking in firearms and yeah. putting gun safes in in place of furniture, sneaky-like. It's good stuff. Thank you guys for listening. I know, actually, this was kind of a longer episode. Um, and we could have gone even longer. I kind of sped through the, the back end of it. Uh, but I will say this as our final takeaway. Uh, firearms are not worth very much if you do not have any training whatsoever. You want to be a safe and responsible gun owner. Go get some training. can be from your friends, but I strongly recommend also picking up some formal training along the way so that you can be the most responsible uh, firearm owner and responsible citizen that you can be. Uh, responsible firearms ownership is the keystone to a uh, solid uh, gun-loving community, really. Um, and I would love for you guys to participate and then be a part of that. But for now, that is going to be the gun wreck. Have fun out there, and we will see you at the range. Sonoran Desert Institute is an online school accredited by the DEAC. It is headquartered at 1555 West University Drive in Tempe, Arizona. For more information about how you can craft your firearms future, visit sdi.edu.